0: over Thanksgiving meal or whatever it is. We, how many of us uh, dread praying out loud? Um, the irony of that clip or the the, um, the irony of the, the part about, well, he's, he's Jewish, he doesn't pray. In the history of the world, the most well-known prayer, the, mo- the prayer that has been prayed the most was given to us by a Jew. Um, it was a very significant prayer then, and it continues to be a very significant prayer today. And uh, we're going to jump right in and we're going to read about that. We're gonna, I'm going to read it from Luke 11 and also, also Matthew 6, although we're going to camp out a little bit more in Luke 11 today. Um, beginning in verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples day by day by day. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, at a different time, and to a different crowd, Jesus instructed those people um, in a very similar way, and this might be even more familiar to you, this is um, in... A portion of Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And my guess would be that most of us could quote that according to whatever version it is that we memorized it in, um, or we could stumble our way through it, or it, it sounds familiar to us. Um, we're going to do a little three week series that we're calling Bold Belief How to Pray and uh there's a couple of things that i hope that as a as a family that we can we can grow in and learn from this series and if you are not um you know an official part of this church but prayer has always intrigued you or maybe it's frustrated you um then you're probably just like everybody else that comes here every week cuz we experience those same things but a couple of goals that uh, that we've been praying for in this series on prayer a little bit ironic there, but um, one of the key goals is that we want you to realize that prayer is something you can do. The last thing we want to um to portray is you can't pray. So you better come down here during our prayer time. Um, we just want to join you in prayer when, as an example, when we invite you down here to pray, we love praying with one another for one another, but I want you to see over those next three weeks that prayer is something that you can do and we're going to be really practical in that. And not only do we want us to uh, do I want you to see that prayer is something that every single one of you can do. I want you to know that you can do it boldly with confidence. And that is probably maybe even a bigger leap for us than just accepting that we we can pray. Now, we saw what it was like in this video clip to pray without confidence. We saw what it was like to be really timid in prayer, um, to feel so uncertain. So what does it take to pray with boldness? Does it, um, does it take the right um, education, background? Do you have to go to seminary? Um, is there a special book on prayer that if you read this, then all of a sudden you would be able to pray boldly? Um, is, there, uh, is a part of praying boldly learning really cool phrases which he was trying, he was grasping for cool phrases. But if we pray to the Lord of hosts, does that make it a a reason for us to pray a little bit more boldly? Well, regardless of how much education you've had, how many books you've read, how many cool phrases you pick up from somebody else that you think is a good prayer, none of those give you boldness. Bold belief in prayer comes from belief in who God is. Our boldness in prayer comes from this deep belief of who we are talking to in this. And so as we have this bold belief of who God is, one of the things that we're going to talk about this week in the next couple of weeks is who is God? Because we are going to have, I think we'll all admit that sometimes we think of or perceive God in a way that he really isn't. Um, and, and so I want us to have a, a better understanding of that. Specifically, and, and speaking more specifically for today, bold belief in prayer comes from an unshakable belief that God is here, that God is powerful and able, and that God is good. And when we believe this, then we're able to voice anything in our hearts with boldness. Conversely, If we don't believe that God is here, that God is able, that God is good. In other words, if we think of God as someone who is aloof, if we think of God who is someone who is able, but he's kind of stingy, or he's really picky, um, or if we think of God as someone who is good, but boy, he sure is moody. I never really know when he's going to be good. Or I think he's good to a lot of people, but it just doesn't seem like he's being good to me. If we do not see that God is good, period. If we do not see that God is always able and willing, if we do not see that God is here, not aloof, then we will not be able to pray with boldness. And so... Um, we're going to go back and we'll just kind of walk through section by section of some of this very familiar prayer. Or if it's not familiar to you, um, by the end of today, it probably will be a little bit more familiar. And I want us to highlight those three things. God is here, God is able, and God is good. Um, so God is here. These first, uh, just the first few phrases in Luke eleven two, 2, it begins with, "'Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come.'" To hallow God's name simply means to revere it. It means that you want his name lifted up higher than any other name. And it's not just the name God, or um, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're not just the, it's not like some magic happens because you correctly pronounce Jesus, or you say it with a real churchy accent. It's not the actual pronunciation of the name. See, in biblical times, a name represented the person. The name represented the person's character. Uh, What they were capable of, their uh, abilities, their activities, everything about the person was summed up in their name. And so when you pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are praying with this belief that in in this characteristic of God, in his abilities, in his activities, you you are calling all of those into play. And so if his name is his character and his activity, there's another word in here that we don't use a whole lot, and is your kingdom come. What is, what is a kingdom? What is, what is it talking about there? Because it's not, a, um, it's not a phrase that we use very often. If you come over to my house, I don't say, welcome to my kingdom. If, for no other reason, you'd look at me and laugh. And you would look at my wife and say, you can welcome me to your kingdom, because we know this is your kingdom. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, we, we just don't use the word kingdom, but, but we kind of get the idea that um, what comes with a kingdom is ruling, is a king. Um, a kingdom is where God's will is done. A kingdom is where God rules, where God has dominion. Guys... Um, or girls, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe when you go out to the garage, this is your kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Um, my mom had a kingdom growing up, and it was the dining room table. And it's, it wasn't because she was cooking the meals and everything. She loved to do crafts. And our dining room table was never used for food. It was always used for Crafts. And there would always be um, crafts in different stages of completion all around the dining room table. That was my mother's kingdom, and we knew that she ruled that area, which meant we knew not to mess with that, okay? Her rules were what went into play. If we were going to sit at that table, we played by her rules, if that makes sense. And so he is saying that um, in this prayer, we are acknowledging that God has a kingdom. There is a place where God rules. Um, In Matthew 6, this portion of the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is where God rules. Heaven is where God reigns without anything impeding what God wants to be done. Um, I read this in one of the commentaries. Heaven is the only place now where God's will is done perfectly, constantly, unhesitatingly, cheerfully, immediately, and without asking any questions. So is this saying that if we want to experience the kingdom, that we have to wait until we go to heaven? No, Jesus is saying, I want you to pray the kingdom of heaven down to earth. I want you to experience what God does perfectly in heaven here on earth God is here. We want God's will to break through into our everyday, ordinary lives. This means that God is not just way out there in heaven doing his will. He is God with us. God among us. He wants us to experience this beautiful kingdom right here. He's inviting us to sit at his table, right there where we are, and seated at that table, we can experience his kingdom rule. Have you ever prayed a prayer and your thought is, or you've shared um, your experience of prayer with someone by saying, um, I just, man, my prayers didn't even make it through the ceiling. You know what I'm talking about? Where you just, you just feel, you pray and it's just going nowhere. Uh, it ricochets off the ceiling. It's kind of a way of saying you just, you feel all alone. And you're saying, hello, God, are you there? Well, I want to answer that question for you. Is God there? No. God is not there. God is here. If you feel like your prayers don't make it through the ceiling, I've got great news for you. He is below the ceiling. He is here with us. He desires to be that close to us. Psalm 139, one of our readings, if you're uh, following along in our Bible reading plan, asks a rhetorical question, where can I flee from your presence? And the answer to that is a resounding nowhere. <laughs> we cannot go any place without finding God there. He is everywhere. He is here. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is not far away in space and time. Jesus often said, The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is within you. You can pray boldly because God is here. You don't pray boldly and loudly, hoping that your voice can carry through the ceiling. You can pray boldly because he's right here with you. Our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now I want us to see that God is able. We will pray boldly when we recognize that God is able. Um, In Matthew 6, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Luke 11, It reads, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And what this is saying is that God provides. God is able to provide, and specifically he's able to provide in two ways. He's able to provide for us physically. He's able to provide what our physical bodies need, bread. And he's also able to provide what gives us life Spiritually, what brings our soul to life, and that is forgiveness. If sin is what deadens us, if sin is what takes life away, forgiveness is what breathes it back into us. And so, in this prayer, we are acknowledging, and this is a very, um, this is where you are going to you're going to see that you can pray boldly, but there's a a humility that accompanies it. There's a humility that says, I can't provide for myself what I need. I've got to ask God, I need you to provide daily bread, and I need you to forgive me. And I think we don't just pray for for bread on a daily basis. I think it's also implied that we are praying for forgiveness on a daily basis. Now, remember, he is here. Uh, This means that God is here um, in ways that might seem so insignificant to you that it's not even worth bothering to pray about. Um, We live in a culture that can provide for itself, by and large. Uh, We live in a culture that, rather than seeking forgiveness, tends to blame and excuse. And so, very humbly, we come to him, and we recognize that we cannot provide anything for ourselves apart from what he gives us the ability to partner with him to provide for ourselves, and we cannot obtain life without his forgiveness, without his once and for all sacrifice. Now with this daily bread, um, it's kind of a way of saying um, God cares about even these little details of your life. What is something that you you think, well, that's so small, I'm not going to bother the creator of the universe with that. Well, we're going to look at a little bit more uh, of this next week as we continue through Luke 11. But God loves it when we ask. It connects us to him. So even if there is something daily bread-like that just seems so small, what if you took time this week to actually pray for that? Even if it's something that you feel confident that you could come up with on your own, yield your life to God and say... how will you step in, make your presence known, and provide in this? And not, and not only is God able to provide in these really tiny ways, the things that we would perceive as insignificant, although he doesn't see it that way, God is able to provide in the biggest and the hardest and seemingly most impossible ways. 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to bless you how much? Abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We can ask God for these things. He is able. Daniel 3 is a situation where Daniel and uh, his closest friends were encouraged to bow down, uh, but not to God. And they said, we will not bow down to this earthly king. Our allegiance is to God as our king, and as a penalty for that, that earthly king was threatening to throw them into this fiery furnace. In other words, to kill them death by fire. And this is what Daniel says. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And they went on to acknowledge, but if not, if God chooses not to, we're still going to offer our allegiance to the one true God, but they knew they prayed boldly because they knew God is able. You want to know what God is able to do? I keep going back to our reading plan, but if you've been following it with us, Job 38 and 39, he's listened to all these complaints and then he says to Job, okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm capable of. Just sit there and listen to this. And God rattles off this list of things that He can do here on earth, that He can do all throughout the universe, these immense things that He does every day, all day. And then like you get to the end of chapter 38 and he's just like, Mic drop, boom, that's what I can do. And Job's response is, okay. (laughs) You are God and I am not. What is God able to do? And as we believe that he is able, that he has the power to do these things that we are asking for, we will pray with boldness. Not because we learned some catchy phrase, not because we think we finally worded it right, but because God is able. Pick two things to pray for this week. I want you to pray for something that is, in your mind, has been too insignificant to take to God in prayer. And maybe your thought is, if I voice this, God's just going to think I'm being whiny. What is that? Can you voice that to him in prayer? Because he wants to hear that. So I want you to pray for something this week that's small and insignificant in your mind. And then what is that thing that is so huge that if you were honest, you've never taken it to God because it seemed impossible? Begin to pray for that this week. And I'm not saying that because I know how God will answer. I'm saying that because I know God is able. God is able. And so we have this opportunity to go to a God with boldness. Because he is here. Because he is able. And because he is good. Let's go back to this model prayer. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one or the more concise version in Luke 11 lead us not into temptation so what is this saying what is evil and what is this temptation basically it's it's anything that is harm or leads to harm evil is anything that will harm us body or soul Temptation is anything or anyone that leads us to harming of body or soul. So we can pray boldly to God, knowing that he is good. He will never harm us, body or soul. He will never lead us into places, into uh, into uh, situations. Now, I'm not saying that we don't experience that as much as there is a goodness that pervades all of that. There is a a covering, and we can pray for God to not lead us into harmful, tempting situations because he is good. We don't have to question what his heart is in those situations. Um, This quote really jumped out at me in, uh, in recent weeks. God wants us to enter prayer with this mindset, having no doubt that my appointed path is good, And that nothing irredeemable has happened to me or can happen to me on my way to God's destiny for my life in this world. Reword that. Put it on a card and stick it on your bathroom mirror or on the dash of your car. Don't read it while you're driving, but remember it. Um, My appointed path is good. Nothing irredeemable has happened to me or can happen to me on my way to God's destiny for my life in this world, and I don't mean this as a, a name-it claiming. It. It's going to happen because I said it. When this comes about, it's because God is good. It's based upon His character, His unchanging nature. The God who is good, the God that you pray to. 1 John 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. There is zero darkness. There is no trace of evil in God. He is purely light. He is purely good. Nahum 1 7 is one of several times where it says this phrase, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And specifically here, he's saying he is a refuge in times of trouble. Again, this week, Psalm 145 in our readings, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. We must come to see God as good, always good. And we come to him as children as he sees good. A fruitful life, a prayerful life that is bold requires this foundational conviction that God is my father and he is totally for me. He is that good. So we've been talking about these characteristics of God and I've been using scripture to support what scripture says about God. But if you're here this morning... Um, and you want to know maybe a little bit more about what scripture has to say about God, then I have a recommendation to you. Maybe, maybe you're convinced that God is good some of the time, but not all the time. Uh, maybe you question that he is here or that he is able. Um, Jesus says that if you see me, you have seen the Father. So the best way for us to get to know God the Father is to look at Jesus, and one of the best ways for us to get to know Jesus is to read the stories of his life in the Gospels. And the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to steal the one that's in the pew. We don't say steal, but you can take that one. You can download um, a Bible app on your phone. If you want to know who God is, get to know Jesus. And Jesus said that several times. To know me is to know the Father. You want to know the Father better. If you're struggling with, I've got this perception of this God way out there, and get to know Jesus. And I believe this will transform the way that you think and perceive God. As you are reading the Gospels, let's just do a for instance. If you have difficulty trusting that God is loving even when you sin, When you read the Gospels, look for the ways that Jesus treated sinners. And I'm going to give you a little hint. Those were his favorite people to hang out with. So who is God? Get to know Jesus. If you have difficulty trusting that God cares, I challenge you to read the Gospels and note how Jesus never overlooked a person in need who cried out to him. You will not see that he overlooked a person in need as they cried out to him. In the gospel accounts, you will see Jesus who is brought to tears when he sees people who are hurting physically, as well as in their soul and spiritually. You will see that he is compassionate. You see Jesus, you see God, and you know that God cares. What is your hang up with God? What is your hang up with God? I encourage you to read the gospels and look for somebody else that has that same hang up because you're not alone. And I want you to see how Jesus responded to whatever your hang up is. And then apply that. That's, that's how God, just as Jesus would respond to you. That's how God the Father would respond to you. You will see God the Father as never before. And when you see him as never before, you will pray with a boldness that you've never had before. Prayer really, in its most basic form, is is communication with God. Now, we might think it's one way, like prayer is our chance to talk to God, and we don't even think about giving him a chance to speak back or to interact, but it really is a dialogue. It is communication with God, and it's about what he and I are doing together, what you and God are doing together, communication with God. My brother and I grew up um, in a, we, my parents had a finished portion of their attic. Um, we didn't sleep there. We were in the unfinished, no, I'm just kidding. Um, it uh, had the dormer and like a lot of attics, the, it had the angled walls, so you could really only stand up in the middle of the room, kind of one of those deals. And right there underneath those angled walls were our two twin beds, kind of flanked to the sides of the room. I don't remember bedtime, as a kid, as much as I remember nap time, probably because I hated naps then. Something drastically has changed since then, I can tell you that. But um, mom would send us every Sunday afternoon, send us up to our room. It's time for you two to nap. And I don't want to hear any talking two things that neither one of us wanted to do. Okay. So we got up there and we knew that mom and on Sunday afternoons had supersonic hearing. So we really couldn't say anything without getting in trouble. And then she would just extend the nap time. So my brother and I devised this plan of communicating. We took a string And we tied it, looped it from the bedpost of my twin bed all the way over to the bedpost of his twin bed and we tied it off. So it was just one continuous loop and we had little pieces of paper and a paperclip on that string. And I would scribble a little note to him and I'd paperclip it and then he'd be over there. And he would pull it towards him, and he would always draw something back. And he and I were talking about this, like, years later. I was like, why didn't you draw things? He goes, because I couldn't read or write then, you know? It's like, (laughs) huh, okay, never thought about that. So he would draw a picture and paperclip it, and then I would pull it back, and I'd look at his picture, and then get another piece of paper, I'd write something, and this would continue the entire nap time, well... It would continue until um, one of two things, until we fell asleep, our mom said it was time to get up. Neither one of us had any idea at the time how that was a foreshadowing of how we would communicate, not just to each other, but to God. I love to journal prayers to God, I love to write out my prayers. My brother went on to major in art in college, got his master's in fine art. He teaches art in the public school system. Um, my social media posts are a bunch of words. His social media posts are things that he drew. His way of communicating with God, mine is with a pen and a journal. His is he expresses his heart to God through a pen and a sketchbook. We communicate with each other. We communicate with God. sometimes when I journal a prayer, as I am praying, and especially if if I have those times when I feel like God's a long ways off, I try and shift my thinking as I'm writing it, and I picture, what if I were to just paperclip this to God, and he's just right there? So I want to make a couple of uh, points out of this. One, um, we can pray boldly because when we pray, God pulls those prayers towards himself. In other words, it's not up to us to write out a prayer and wad it up and hope that we can throw it far enough to reach God. It's not that we're going to write our prayers on a piece of paper and fold it into a little airplane and hopefully it will fly straight enough to land in his lap God's doing this. With every word you pray, he is pulling it towards himself. But it's not just one way. I get something back from God. I have an opportunity to hear what he has to say to me. How does God speak to me? Well, I think he writes. He has written to us in the form of his word, And I believe that the Holy Spirit brings to mind verses, whether it's one that we're reading in that moment or one that we have read or memorized, God speaks to us. It is like you've maybe read two or three chapters, but there was this one word or one sentence or one verse that God highlighted for you. And it's like he just paper clipped it and said, "This this is for you. And we reel it in. And that is just the word we needed. That's our daily bread, our daily word. But I think God likes pictures too. Some of us are readers and we love to read God's word. But I believe that God responds to us in prayer through pictures. And I don't mean some mystical, I saw a vision thing. I just mean that what God does in the way of answering prayer is tangible and visible. God speaks to us in the ways that we can experience him in nature, the ways that we can experience him through close relationships, through strangers. I believe that um, we will hear these answers, see these answers, and they may surprise us as we experience God in nature, as we experience how he is answering prayers around us. It may surprise us, but we can trust that his answers are always beautiful and good. God's eager to hear from me. He has an opportunity. Uh, We have an opportunity to hear from him. And then the third thing, um, I will continue to string up my prayers and offer them to God until something happens in particular, until I fall asleep. And he says, Gary, it's time for you to get up. There will come a day when I will fall asleep, when I will die. And it coincides with that same time that God shakes me and says, I'm waking you up to a life of eternity with me. And at that point, I'm not writing down a prayer and putting it on a paper clip. I'm face to face with him. I know what I'm about to say is super cheesy. Embrace the cheese. But it's, it's a conversation with God with no strings attached. That's what it is. That's what we were created for. But we, we pray heaven down to earth so that we can have those moments with him right here, right now. You don't have to wait until then. He wants to communicate with us and us with him. Worship team's going to make their way on stage. In your bulletin, um, if you got a bulletin, is a paper clip and a small card. Um, If you didn't get one, there are some, I'm going to give you some instructions in just a moment, that'll be waiting for you out on the patio area. If you could write a word or a phrase, a little sentence of a prayer to God, what would it be? That's simply what our activity is right now. If you've got a pen or find one in the pew in front of you, we're gonna give you just a, a quiet moment where you can write out your prayer to God. It doesn't have to be big and elaborate, it doesn't have to have some cool phrase, but with a heart that is trusting that God is here with us, with a heart that believes that He is able. In the face of whatever your request is, with a heart that really believes that he is good. I want you to write out your prayer. We're going to give you just a few moments to do that. And then we're going to sing a song and then I'll come back up here and I'll uh, I'll talk to you about what we will do with that prayer in just a moment.